0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest, but first, a quick chat about goal setting. Hey guys, Victor here. I'm here off the coast of France and I want to talk to you for a moment about goal setting. You know, I set a goal back in December of 2017, that was almost two years ago now, to be sailing in the Mediterranean. And you know what, here we are, October of 2019 and I am sailing not the Mediterranean but off the coast of France on the Atlantic coast. So you might call that a mess, but I'm pretty close. And so the question is, how did I do that? And I guess the way that I did it is by setting a goal. Setting a goal, not really knowing how I was going to accomplish it, and deciding just to go for it. You probably have goals that you're trying to achieve as well and wondering, Why is it that another year has gone by and perhaps you haven't come close or perhaps that goal that you have for health or for business or family, maybe that goal hasn't quite been achieved yet. The question is why not? Is it because you didn't have the clarity that you needed to have that goal accomplished? Is it because you didn't have alignment of your values? Or is it because just life got in the way and you haven't figured out how to prevent life from getting in the way? All these things come come up. This is the game of life. You've only got one shot at this. And so don't let another year go by without having clarity of your goals and making a commitment commitment to yourself, a commitment to your family to achieve those goals. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a massive, audacious goal. We're all on our own journey and it doesn't matter what one person does or another person does. This is your life, this is your journey. You wanna make sure that you're living true to your values. So I'd like you to join me first week of December. We're going to be spending three days together on the Mexican Riviera, a beautiful setting for us to focus on goal setting. It's so important to take that time away from the office, away from all the things that are distracting you. Make sure that you get in the space with like-minded individuals and take the time to really clarify your goals. Make sure you know what's important and say no to the things that are preventing you from achieving what's truly important to you. Look forward to seeing you then. Definitely find out more, go to victorjm.com on the events page, victorjm.com slash events. I'd love to see you first weekend of December on the Mexican Riviera. We're gonna spend three very intensive days together. It's hard work, so it's not play. Figure out what your goals are. I look forward to seeing you then. We are back here on The Weekend Edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Durango, Colorado. Welcome to the show, Jens Nielsen.
1: Hey, thanks, Victor. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today.
0: So, Jens, you are not originally from North America. That's not quite a Colorado <laughs> accent I'm detecting. Why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how did you get here and into this crazy world of real estate investing?
1: Yeah, right. I, uh, hence the, you know, my name and, and accent. I'm actually, I was born and raised in Denmark and in my, in an early, of an early age of you know, early twenties, I decided that I wanted to go out and explore the world. So, uh, went to London, England first, worked there for a while in the, um, in the IT and telecommunication business. And then in 1996, which is what, 23 years now, ago now, I was transferred or transferred to the U S, um, Again in the being the i t and the telecommunications sector, and um, as you know, that was a you know huge boom there in the late nineties so everybody was in telecommunication and just building networks all over the world and i had the the opportunity to do that. I traveled pretty much everywhere to help install telecommunication equipment and and doing that doing that that boom so that was just an exciting an exciting time to be in that business and um so I started out in Maryland doing that, and then after a few years, like we kind of got tired. Me and my wife got tired of the, of the East Coast and the, the the congestion and everything else, and we started moving west. We had done some trips out here. The first place we ended up was actually in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in in the mid two thousands. Um, spent some time there and uh, wanted to get closer to the mountains. So uh, a few years later, we moved, relocated to uh, Durango, Colorado. Which is a, small town here in the southern parts of the Rockies. So it was an amazing, an amazing place for somebody who likes the outdoors, skiing, biking, and all that. So that was kind of the, um, you know, the quick overview of my transition from Denmark to, to the U- U.S.
0: I love it. You know, I made the transition from tech as well and was in the telecom industry during the 1990s, and I remember those heady times pretty well. It was an exciting time to be in the industry and anything that you touched seemingly turned to gold at that point.
1: Yeah, it's uh that was the same boom we then, you know, experienced uh in the early 2000 mid 2000 in real estate, right? Because we all saw what happened in 2000 when the dot com bubble kind of burst, but that was not just dot com, that was telecommunication everything. There was just overinvestment in that and suddenly everybody realized, well, there's only so much demand. <laughs> and everything was overbuilt that kind of repeated again in 2000 and 2008 so it's not the first time these things happen but you see them in different industries at different times
0: so fast forward to today you're in the real estate industry what are you doing now
1: having been in 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 it and, and telecommunication for a long time I one day decided that that's a great career, but it's not going to give me long-term wealth and, and financial security. And I'm always dependent on somebody else to give me a paycheck. So four or five years ago, I decided that real estate was going to be the the path to create that passive income and and the desire to you know help people getting into affordable housing and stuff. So I partnered with uh, some people in, actually back in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We um, have a partner down there who is specialized in taking kind of distressed properties. And a lot of people talk about distressed properties, but taking, you know, class C properties in in C, C plus, B minus areas and doing kind of a heavy rehab on them. That means going into pretty much tearing out the kitchens, the bathrooms, the flooring and, you know, improving them So taking them from like a C-minus asset to a C-plus, B-minus quality. It's really, it's pretty capital intensive, but also we feel that we can deliver a product that is a high demand for in that workforce housing. So that's what we've been specializing in in the last few years.
0: Well, Albuquerque is an interesting market. I've been there. I haven't invested there myself. What are some of the economic drivers? Is there demand at that C plus, B minus, end of the market.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, in Albuquerque and New Mexico in, in general had a very slow recovery from the Great Recession um, because it was heavily dependent on on oil and gas and, and government uh, investment. So it, it really took a long time to recover, but in the last few years, things have really taken off. And it's very interesting. Um, it's one of the big... Um, destination for filmmaking. There was um, something called Albuquerque Studios purchased by Netflix late last year. So, and obviously everybody knows Netflix. So, if you see these movies that looks like they've been recorded in in the Middle East and other places, they're probably done in the New Mexico area because it's a deserty environment. So, that's one of the drivers, you know, that film industry. Oil and gas is still a driver of New Mexico, but not so much in, in the Albuquerque area. We see continued investment from the government in the national laboratories there labor is relatively inexpensive there so there are you know companies that relocate there to call centers and facebook are building a big data center just south of the city so there are investments coming in there you know people moving out of more expensive areas like california that are reinvesting in in the albuquerque market so some good drivers in my opinion
0: One of the things that I've seen, and I know you work not just on your own, but also with other real estate investors, the Albuquerque market is one where I think there's a lot of opportunity. You can often acquire properties, like you said, fairly inexpensively, and it's simply a matter of putting a process in place, doing the work, putting some systems, putting in a team, and executing. Yet, oftentimes, I see people, even in those types of environments, I see them get stuck. And it's baffling to me. What, what say you on this?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's easy to look at a property and say, oh, this is what on paper you analyze and it's say, like, oh, this is the plan and this is just the process we're going to follow. But then unexpected things happen. We had an example of one property we we're renovating right now. There were suddenly the floors were warm on the ground floor, which they shouldn't be. And it turned out we had hot water leak there. The right action in, in, in a thing like that is like, hey, let's just go get a jackhammer and jackhammer up the floors and fix it. Obviously, that's going to cost more money than we initially planned. But I think just dealing with problems as they come along and, and be flexible and willing to move forward and just do what it takes, right? I've seen people start renovations on projects and then they they didn't anticipate how much money was required. They never served and they just kind of get stuck and the property never gets finished and they you know end up either losing the property or, like we did, we bought this distressed property from a a California seller who had not put the required money into it and was just, this property was just spiraling downhill pretty quickly. So just being willing to adjust your mindset and your plan as reality sets in.
0: One of the things we've seen, it doesn't matter the size of the project, every single project we've ever been involved in has had a surprise of one form or another – some big, some small, even projects that were literally next door to each other that were supposed to be carbon copies of each other, we've had surprises. I'll give you a tiny example. We had just finished developing a property. It was a new construction project. And then we went next door to start digging a foundation and discovered a live sewer line running through the middle of the backyard. And when we approached the city about it, we asked them, well, what's going on with the sewer line? They said, oh, it's undocumented. Uh, we don't want to know about it. Don't tell us anything. Uh, we don't want to know. And so we have a live sewer line going through the, what would be the middle of our foundation. In the end, you know, we asked, well, what do we do? You know, can we cap it? They said, yep. Now, of course, we, we didn't. We spent the extra $5,000 to route the, the sewer out to the street and had to modify our foundation accordingly to make room for it. But these things always happen and you know, you've got to have the intestinal fortitude to be willing to accept these kind of surprises when they come up and make sure in particular that your projects have enough margin. If you're operating on five, ten, fifteen percent margin, uh, you're really setting yourself up for failure.
1: No, I agree with that. And I think a lot of people they don't start out with enough reserves and capital up front to really deal with these unexpected things, right? Uh and then they get they get in trouble. And then suddenly that property just never gets finished. Um, and I think the other part of that whole, you know, when you're communicating with your investors, yeah, you want to obviously present a positive picture of what's going on, but also be honest around, hey, this is an unexpected thing. This is what's going on. This is going to slow down the project to have this impact or whatever. So you kind of, you're transparent and open about what's going on because there is a lot of risk taking these older property or ground up there, whatever it is, there's risk involved in it. As long as you paint a picture of reality to your investors and are honest about it, then you'll get through it. You know, if, if, if you buy in the right market, then you buy in the right location. Typically, those unexpected events will correct themselves over time.
0: A lot of people wonder where we are in the economic cycle, in the market cycle, now, I'm a big believer that real estate is hyper You can have an upswing in one market, meanwhile, a downswing in another, because after all, the economy is not one economy. It's multiple economies. What's your strategy for the next 12, 24 months?
1: Again, I, I like the Albuquerque market. There, it has some supply constraints. The the city itself is uh, actually can't grow in three directions because it has mountains on one side and a national forest. It's got an Indian reservation on the northern side, and it has the Air Force or the uh, the National Labs in the southern part. So, it's constrained. And then to the west, yeah, there's unlimited space that direction. But it it's just adds. You just move out way out in the suburbs if you want to be out there. So the core city itself has a lot of con- constraints, and not a lot of new inventory has been built. So I think there's still a lot of opportunity taking these, you know, early 1970s uh assets and um and repositioning them and we've seen you know i mean the uh the vacancy rate right now is four or five percent so that's i think lower than the national average and uh there's still a growth there so you know we buy conservatively and in and and find properties that are performing reasonably well the way they are currently run and then we we go in there and start renovating but we don't do you know hey let's let's Kick out all the tenants and start from scratch. Now we do it in a kind of a slow, slower fashion, where we may bring it down to you know 80% occupied and renovate those units and lease it up, so we still have decent cash flow. You know, if you and if if, if suddenly things slow down, well, maybe you just slow down your renovation and you wait till things improve a little bit and you and you continue. So, so it typically takes a little bit longer than to go through the the process that uh, than other investors would do, but also we have a longer, you know, we don't go out and tell investors that it's going to be a five years, five year hold, you know, we're more like seven to 10 years. And, and the goal is to go in and refinance them and pull out the investor's capital and then you know, have a, have that as a long-term asset. Um, it's just, just a different model, but we just find, you know, we just partner with people that are comfortable with that, that model.
0: I love that. That's remarkably similar to many of the strategies that we've employed. And it sounds to me an awful lot like what we've been doing in Philadelphia. You know, we call this the buy on the line, move the line strategy. And what that really refers to is that in many cities in America, there's this band of property just outside the downtown core that's been neglected for 30 years most of the development's been, like you said, in the suburbs. And there's that, that no man's land in between the suburbs and the downtown core that's ready for rejuvenation. And uh, so we've seen an awful lot of opportunity in multiple cities that meet that exact same description.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I've also seen, we just learned we were looking at a 116-year property here the last couple of weeks. And somebody else brought it to us and they had budgeted like six or $7,000 a door went in and looked at it and said, no, that is not, you are underestimating the amount of work required there. And I I see, I see people trying to do what what you have done and what we do, but totally underestimating the amount of effort required. So we were like, no, we know those properties. It's going to require probably more like 15 or $20,000 a door. And the current owner has just bought it a few years ago and he's, Bleeding money, and but it's like, oh, this is going to sell on the open market. and We can get a lot more money for it. It's like, well, good luck. <laughs> if you can't find a buyer, we'll be interested at this price, you know. And I think just under people under, underestimate the amount of work that may be required.
0: Absolutely. Well, Jens, if folks want to get in touch, what's the best way?
1: Yeah, so my email is Jens J E N S at opendoorscapital.com. dot com. So that's my my email my website and i also like to you know get on call get on a call with people if anybody's interested they can go to opendoorscapital.com slash call and schedule a, a free call with me to just talk about real estate or anything else
0: i love it well folks definitely reach out to jens at Yen's at opendoorscapital.com and in the meantime have an awesome rest of your weekend go make some great things happen we'll talk to you again tomorrow